So instead of answering the difficult question of is, is this risky, we answer the easier question of, of is this enjoyable. For Monday, January 20th, 2020, this is episode 61. Dr. Daniel Crosby, boating and selfies are dangerous, investing is not. Daniel and I had a great discussion about the psychology of money and the biggest misconceptions about investing. We covered the fact that we need financial advisors, but not for the reason that most people think. Many investors are mistaken that success in the markets is about being analytically minded, but it's actually more about self-control. Daniel shares the three legs of effective investing and why education alone isn't enough. And how thinking about money affects us. Spoiler alert, money is more excitatory in the brain than sex. Enjoy. Welcome to the Beetle Moment Marketing Podcast, an exploration of marketing and business with a focus on emerging technology and voice. I'm your host, Emily Binder, and I make this for you. It's time to crawl in. Welcome back to the Beetle Moment Marketing Podcast. I am here with my very special guest, Dr. Daniel Crosby. Daniel Crosby is a psychologist and behavioral finance expert who helps organizations understand the intersection of mind and markets. He is a New York Times bestselling author, and his most recent book is The Behavioral Investor. He is the chief behavioral officer at Brinker Capital. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, I've been following you for a while and enjoying your books and your tweets and everything that you have to offer when it comes to psychology, investing, and behavior. So tell us more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so by education, I'm a clinical psychologist. You know, I went to school to be a just a normal shrink. Um, but about three or four years into my program, it was a five-year program, so about three, three and a half years into my program, I just started to burn out on the work of becoming a therapist. Uh, and so I started to look for non-clinical, non-medical applications of, uh, of psychology. And being the son of a financial advisor, I sort of stumbled into this world of behavioral finance, which is the, you know, the intersection of, of the mind and the markets, how people think and how they apply this thinking uh, to their financial decisions. So yeah, I began to sort of tilt my career so slowly, but surely in the direction of finance um, right there at the end of grad school. Oh, okay. And so with psychology and finance, I mean, do you find that there are a lot of misunderstandings? What do people most misunderstand about investing and their money? Well, you know, I I really misunderstood this. You know, when I began to go to my dad, who was sort of my career coach at the time, and, you know, to this day, said, you know, look, what do I do with this degree I have? I've got this advanced degree in psychology. I like thinking about behavior, but I don't know quite what to do with it if I'm not going to be a shrink. And he says, you know, look, my business is is full of human behavior. And, you know, he being a financial advisor, and I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, thinking that that he was a numbers person. And so I think that my misunderstanding at the time mirrors the misunderstanding of many people uh, which is they think that, you know, success in the markets is really all about being analytically minded, being a numbers person, you know, having the fastest computer. Uh, and when in reality, 
the most successful investors have one thing in common, which is being able to control their own emotions. And, you know, uh, an authority no less, uh, no less auspicious than Warren Buffett has said, look, you know, the, the big returns don't accrue to the person with the, the massive IQ. The big returns accrue to the person who knows themselves and is able to comport themselves in sort of a reasonable manner uh, when everyone around them is losing their head. So it's really quite easy and, and no one believes me on this, but it's really quite easy to be okay at investing, to be good at investing, uh, and to be hard is super, super difficult. Uh, but the the delta between being you know average and being exceedingly good has way more to do with what's between your ears uh, than what's on your calculator. Right. You you talk often about some of our shortcomings in, with our hundred fifty thousand year old hardware, and. I think that these apply to all areas of life in ways, but with investing, what are some of the main ones, things like rosy retrospection and and some of the other highlights that you've mentioned before that we all are victim to? Yeah. So, you you know, you make a good good point about this 150,000-year-old hardware of, of our brain. And it's important for us to remember that our brain is wired to keep us alive long enough to pass on our genes. And like, that's it. Right, like you aren't wired, you aren't wired for for excellence. You aren't wired to be happy. Like none of that. Like your brain is not in charge of any of that. You are wired to pass on your genes, and so because of this, our brain leads us astray in a number number of predictable ways. I wrote about the the four biggest ones, I think, in in my last book. And they are ego, which is our tendency to be overconfident, which men are especially prone to. Uh, the second one is emotion, which is this tendency to let our emotional uh, emotional reasoning get in the way of, of logical reasoning in a moment of, of passion or, or intense emotion. Uh, the, the third one is conservatism, which is our desire to kind of go with what we know, to play it safe, to go with the tried and true over, over trying something new or different. Uh, and then the last one is attention, uh, which is our con- a tendency to confuse uh, what's easy to recall with what is actually likely or probable. So the you know my favorite sort of go to example of this is that more people die every year um, taking selfies uh, than die of shark attacks by an, an order of magnitude. It's you know many many times more people die every year taking selfies and effectively like stumbling into the road or you know bumping into something. Uh, but, you know, people are, are very scared of sharks and not very uh, scared of selfies. And it's because of this, uh, you know, attentional bias that the way that we remember things has a lot more to do with how vivid or sexy or lurid something is uh, and less to do with how likely it is. And it leads us astray all the time when we're when we're making decisions. So those are sort of the four big ones. But there's there's hundreds and hundreds of of sort of cognitive errors that the uh, ways in which your brain leads you astray. Right. I, I love that example. <laughs> Selfies are dangerous. The other one I remember that you've mentioned is um, talking about losing money in the market. And people people think investing is risky, even though over any given 15 year period in history, you couldn't have lost money, isn't that right? Yeah, it was. It was only recently. Uh, it was. It was ten years until the the Great Recession. You know, a few a few ten ten eleven years back. But you know, historically, it's been you know every ten to twelve years. So if you look at something um, like investing, 
you know, multi-asset class, well-diversified long-term investing, that has historically been very, very safe, right? If you just leave it alone uh, or you look at something like boating, uh, which is really, really quite dangerous. And so why do we think that investing is scary and, you know, boating is, is not scary? You know, if I ask you to invest with me, you might go, wait a minute, I've got some questions. You know, if I ask you to, you know, go out on the boat with me, you'd be like, where do I sign up? And, and that's because of this human tendency to answer an easier question. When we're, when we're presented with something complicated, we tend not to answer the complicated question. We tend to substitute and one of our primary substitutes is, is this enjoyable, right? So uh, investing is not all that fun. Um, boating is very fun. So instead of answering the difficult question of, is, is this risky? We answer the easier question of, of, is this enjoyable? And you see this in a very real way in an election year like the one we're in now, where people tend not to answer the question, you know, is this person the best president, which would require a look at their temperament and their foreign policy and their tax policy and the type of people they surround themselves with. And instead they answer some variant, which is ends up being something like, would I like to have a beer with this person? So when whenever we get down to the final two candidates, I would encourage listeners to sort of put the, you know, put the two candidates through the who would I rather have a beer with test. And that's not who you should vote for, but it's who you should expect to win uh, because of this human tendency to answer uh, an easier question. <laughs> oh, the the boating example. really. I mean, we're talking about sharks and boating. It's like, don't go on the water. <laughs> Just invest in the market. You'll be safer. Don't yeah. go on the water, people. <laughs> oh. So um, all of these ideas are so appealing. I think the way that you state them, it's accessible and people can relate to it. And I mean, even though we might be aware of these these habits or, or issues with our cognitive biases. We still we still make mistakes. And of course that's a reason that financial advisors would say, well, you need an objective third party helping you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well there's, you know, it's it's actually a little more complicated than that. There's there's three sort of legs to this stool of doing the right thing. Uh, the first leg is education. You know, you need to to know what to do. Uh, the second step is environment. You need to put yourself in the right situations, which is a very powerful predictor of whether or not you do the right thing. And then the third thing is uh, encouragement, which is sort of this real-time, just-in-time advice. So if we take it to the world of finance, you know, the education is learning about you know stocks, bonds, and saving, and checking account, and all that. Uh, the environment is your portfolio. You want to make sure you're in a well-diversified portfolio that's not going to scare you to death. And then the real-time encouragement comes from the financial advisors who are basically going to you know, slap the bad decision out of your hand uh, right before you make it. Uh, there's obvious parallels. You know, it's the new year, so I'm trying a new, uh, you know, exercise and diet program. So there's obvious parallels to, to dieting and exercise as well, right? You need to know what to eat. You need to not keep junk in your pantry. And then, you know, maybe you need that that physical trainer to help you get up on a Saturday morning and, and make it to the gym. So those three things, human behavior is very hard to change. So I think it takes all three of those things if you're looking to make a real a real difference. That makes a lot of sense. I love your diet analogy. And I guess it just goes to show you, I think you mentioned this once before, that in the early 90s, we applied nutrition facts and labeled calories on food. Yet, since then, we are fatter than ever. Obesity and morbid obesity are up, I believe it was 20 or 30%. So 
it's not just enough to educate and put the information in front of people. We are we're more complex at inciting change and behavior. Yeah, it's actually much worse. It's actually much worse than that. I think they've. I think obesity has doubled. Oh. <laughs> but yes, you're you're absolutely right. Since we started labeling food in the in the early '90s, obesity's doubled in our country, because we think right. We want to think that oh, we're rational people, and so if we just tell people what they're putting in their bodies, um, then they'll put the right things in their bodies. But that's very very weak predictor, right? Like just like you said, it's a very very weak predictor. A far better predictor is having all three of those components I just talked about. Because really, at the end of the day, everyone knows that you're supposed to buy low and sell high, and you're supposed to not panic, and you're supposed to diversify. I mean, you know, again, the, the fundamental tenets of investing are very easy, just the same way that the fundamental tenets of, of diet and exercise are to, you know, eat less and move more. That's it. That's the whole book on, on diet and exercise. And yet it's in incredibly hard to do. So it really takes a multifaceted approach because education is an exceedingly weak predictor of doing the right thing. Yeah, that it seems confusing because there's so much information and advice out there. You just said it is simple. It is easy. We, we had a tweet storm yesterday all about this. Like, what do people misunderstand about investing? <laughs> uh, yet, for the same reasons we're fat, we're poor, I guess, as a country. Yes. Well, they, there's a cottage industry in selling complexity, unfortunately, right? I mean, there's a cottage industry in selling new diet fads. There's a cottage industry in selling people complicated financial products that they don't actually need. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, sort of the more you learn about this stuff, the more simple it becomes in a way, but there's sort of an, an inverted U-curve of complexity where, you know, um, the... <laughs> Once you get really deep into this, you your life becomes very simple in a way. Uh, and so, yes, I think there are financial incentives uh, to do the wrong thing. But I think at its core, it's a very, very simple thing. You mentioned incentives. Do you think that with fiduciaries and kind of a newer wave of more transparency, people having more individual access, I mean, zero dollar trading fees, like people are more empowered to manage their money versus back in the days of brokers who really were just pulling the strings and making the calls and selling people on things. Does it does it seem like we should be kind of on a path toward better investing money management, lower fees, not being tricked? Well, there's uh, there's a lot to unpack there because I think we've made a ton of progress. You know, my dad's been in the business for 40 years and, you know, <laughs> early on in his career, he like every other broker in the world was selling expensive products with front load, you know, uh, heavy front loads. Uh, he felt like his job, right, was to call people and tell them about the hot dot or put them in some individual name with, you know, big yield. So I think that we are educating ourselves out of that place. And I think the industry is moving in a great direction. I think there's never been a, a, a better time to be an individual investor just because of the way that, that fees on products have been eroded, uh, you know, really to the bone. Uh, but then on the other hand, a lot of times what investors think they want, you know, things like uh, transparency and liquidity and ease of access, these all sound like ostensibly positive things. 
But, you know, we also know from the research that the more you check your account, the worse you tend to do because it tends to induce action or, you know, panic in you. And so now, I mean, I'll be honest, I check my account every single day that, uh, you know, you couldn't do that 50 years ago. And that was that was better. Um, Now people can make trades for free, which is nice because you're not getting dinged on fees. But it also makes people believe erroneously that there's no cost to frequent trading when we know across 19 different countries, we know the research shows that the more active people are with trading, the worse their portfolios tend to do. So yes, there's there's many positive things to be excited about. There's uh, with respect to um, the ease of access uh, and the transparency we have in the, the lower fees, but we have to be careful not to take these gifts uh, and and give ourselves just enough rope to to make it a problem. Well, at the end of the day, with all that said, uh, do people need financial advisors, or can we overcome our own cognitive biases on our own? Yeah, so people people need financial advisors, but not for the reason that they think. So uh, a study a couple of years ago by Natixis asked advisors. You know, what's the number one thing you do for your clients? And 83% of the advisors said the number one thing I do for my clients is I hold their hand, I keep them from making poor decisions, and, you know, I manage their behavior effectively. And they asked the clients, you know, what do you value in your advisor? And only 6% mentioned this behavioral piece. So there's an enormous chasm between what financial professionals think they're doing for their clients and the benefits that clients think they're getting from financial advisors. So clients are still sort of rooted in this world, which was candidly sold to them by Wall Street. So it's not their fault. They didn't, you know, they didn't arrive at this out of nowhere. Um, But clients are still sort of mired in this idea Uh, that the reason they hire an advisor is to put them in high-performing stocks and to help them sort of reach the stars that way. And we need to help change the conversation there and communicate the value that an advisor adds in in a different way. Right. You know, Stephanie Bogan once said something, I think it was on um, the Model FA podcast. She said, when people come into your office to talk about their money, they're never really talking about their money. And I, I just thought that was so powerful because Frankly, I hire help in almost every other area of my life. You know, I hire help for my mind. Like I'll have a therapist. Uh, I might hire help for you know working out, get a trainer. Why wouldn't you hire help for your money? <laughs> Why do you assume that you're an expert at managing it yourself if you are so emotional and with your 150,000-year-old hardware that's, that's loss-averse, that panics, that puts someone in the electric chair because they haven't had their snack, right? Well, yes. So you mentioned some great studies there. I'll mention an, an, another one. Um, there was research that I cited in the Behavioral Investor that looked at sort of the cognitive activation, basically like how wound up does your brain get by by talking about or thinking about different subjects. And so they did everything. I mean, they ran the gamut from things that are very boring all the way to things like sex and death and you know things that are highly emotionally laden. And they found that nothing had more excitatory power, not sex, not death, not anything. Nothing had more excitatory power than money. So you are literally more crazy (laughs) when thinking about your money than you are thinking about anything else. And so I think it makes perfect sense to, to get a second opinion and to outsource some of that thinking to a professional. That's, 
I mean, if anything, from this entire conversation, that that's the money shot. Like, you're crazy about your money. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to switch gears just a little bit because I think on a marketing perspective here, which which is what I really focus on, you have such an impactful presence, very strong fin twit presence, Daniel Crosby thankful at Thanksgiving, Daniel Crosby at Christmas. Um, so I feel like you're very good at marketing yourself and your ideas, which which I think is good for everybody because these are things people need to know. Does that come naturally to you or do you have some kind of strategy or way that you approach doing that? So it's it's absolutely my my favorite part of my work. So uh, I I don't have any strategy to speak of, uh, but I think when you believe in what you have, right? When you believe in the message that you're communicating to the world, I think influence becomes a mandate, right? Like selling uh, is not only easy, but it's it's actually essential to what you're doing. So I I absolutely love. Uh, the process of spreading ideas, getting my ideas out to the world, you know, a little secret between, you know, me, you and your, your listeners. I have a long-term, you know, maybe in my fifties, I have a long-term plan to start sort of a, a behavioral influence agency. I want to use principles of psychology to sort of uh, influence design principles, to put positive messages out into the world. So I think that uh, psychology and marketing and art and design uh, can come together in a powerful way. And I think the key to to catalyzing that process is just having a message that you believe in. Well, will you call me when you start that? <laughs> I'd love to be yes. part of it. Let's go. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so to wrap up here, I wanted to get some recommendations from you. You have excellent taste. Are there any great podcasts or individual podcast episodes you've heard lately you would recommend? Okay, so I debated whether or not to cop to this, but the, the podcast that I listen to uh, the most, unfortunately, is Dateline. I just listened to true crime podcasts, so you might want to take your good taste comment back. But um, <laughs> on a more <laughs> on a more serious note, the po the other podcast that I listen to, and I'm not listening to histrionic true crime stories. Uh, there's a podcast called Ologies that I absolutely love. It's the study of different sciences, you know, so anything from biology to psychology to I'm anything in between, any kind of ology. The host gets on great, uh, great experts and you learn about all sorts of new fields you never existed. Uh, there's a show called The Pitch that I love, which is effectively Shark Tank for your ears. Um, there's Philosophize This. I'm a big uh, philosophy buff. Philosophize This is an excellent sort of course in world philosophy. Uh, and then of course, my own podcast, Standard Deviations is a, uh, is a, uh, a personal favorite. I love standard deviations. That I highly recommend it. I told you earlier. I've I've listened to the episode about the four pillars of investing. I think four, three or four times over the past year. Um, well, but Daniel, you're I'm surprised. On soon, I'm, so it's get even better. <laughs> oh, I I'm surprised you mentioned Dateline because uh, you would say to anyone else, do not watch cable news about investing. Don't watch, don't watch Kramer because it shuts down the decision-making center in your brain when we have someone else telling us what to do, right? 
Yeah. So I drove by the hospital a couple of years back and I, I drove by the hospital in my hometown. I'm from Alabama. So I'll just perpetuate some stereotypes about Alabama here. So I drive by this hospital and there's 13 doctors outside smoking, you know, in front of the hospital. So I think this just drives home, you know, how difficult it is even for experts to, to take their own advice. So yes, am I scaring the, you know, my scaring the heck out of myself by listening to Dateline? Probably so, but I do, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. That's why women watch SVU because we feel safer when we know the story or the, you know, the way that the criminal is going to just destroy us basically. Um, that's right. Yeah. So good racks. Love it. Um, how about books, fiction, nonfiction, anything you're into lately reading? So I'm, I'm people, people laugh when I tell them this, I'm writing a book on the meaning of life. I really am. So I'm, I'm reading a bunch of meaning of life books right now, which are, you know, a varying, a a varying shades of usefulness. But the best book that I read last year, uh, was a book by, uh, by Rory Sutherland, British gentleman. Uh, and the name of the book is alchemy. And for all the marketing, uh, gurus, Alchemy by Rory Sutherland is a book unlike any book you have ever read before. It's an absolute blast to read. Uh, he, his personality shines through throughout, and uh, it's just sort of this world of, of behavioral economics meets marketing. He works for Ogilvy and, and applies psychology to marketing, and I think uh, the listeners to your show will absolutely love it. That sounds great. All of these recommendations, everything we mentioned will be in the show notes at beetlemoment.com slash podcast. So you can grab links to the podcast, the books. Uh, so Daniel, tell everyone where they can follow and connect with you. So I'm on Twitter at Daniel Crosby. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Just search Daniel Crosby PhD. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to, love to see you online. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Daniel. My pleasure, Emily. When it comes to podcasts and voice platforms like Alexa and Google Assistant, are you confident that your marketing strategy is setting you up for success? I've helped dozens of clients in North America and Europe with voice marketing, and I offer private strategy consultations resulting in a customized action plan. Visit emilybender.com call to book your consultation in just a few clicks. That's emilybender.com call. 